From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. There are people inside government departments who want to use insights into human behaviour to influence us. At its best, it can help design systems to get the best outcomes for people. But at its worst, it can nudge people into accepting bad outcomes, from not appealing decisions to not getting the services they're entitled to. Today, senior reporter at the Saturday paper, Rick Morton, on the job ad for someone to look into human behaviour and its strange links to the origins of the RoboDebt disaster. It's Thursday, December 1. Rick, good morning. How are you? I'm good, Ruby. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. So, Rick, we're here to talk about the way that decisions that are made within government agencies can have huge impacts on people's lives. And it's interesting because I think a lot of journalism out there is about the politicians, but often in your stories, you're looking at the the web of bureaucracy and the kind of crushing effect that that can have on people. Yeah, it's an easy one to overlook, isn't it? Because we think about government as in the politicians making all the decisions, but it's the people in the departments and the agencies who actually enact all of that stuff. And they often decide on the fly within the bounds of the legislation they've got how those things are going to apply to you. And, you know, it's not just people on welfare, which is how a lot of people conceptualise government support, but things like the National Disability Insurance Scheme or the Age Pension or any number of kind of disaster payments and things like that. So this stuff is actually really important and has a huge effect on the way people actually get to live their life and whether it's with more stress or less. Mm, absolutely. And and this week you've been looking into the NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, and the incoming minister, Bill Shorten, has flagged a review into the scheme and that's around concerns about the rising costs that are associated with it. So can you tell me about the state that the NDIS is in at the moment and, and what we know so far about the changes that, that might be underway? So the NDIS has been around for a long time now, actually. It's, you know, it's turning 10 next year. Um, it began with trials in, in mid-2013 under the Gillard government and it was designed to essentially completely replace, dismantle and replace the entire state-based fragmented disability service system. It was also replacing the architecture of how funding used to be delivered, not just increasing the funding. And so there's been this whole new central agency, which is the National Disability Insurance Agency. There's been a complete change in philosophy, which is that if it is reasonable and necessary, then you will get whatever you need to help you live a life um, if you've got a disability. And so... That's great, except they were kind of figuring out how to do this on the run. And so there's been an attempt now for many years to cut costs or rein in costs. Now, in the latest financial sustainability report released this month, there was a line in there saying that the significant pressures on the financial sustainability of the scheme, the NDIS, remain and have become more significant. Um, so really, that's just a natural progression. And just recently, on November 14. A little birdie of mine spied an assistant director of behavioural insights job advertisement posted on Seek and on the agency's website. Now, that's very interesting to me because I've been covering a few things recently that involve behavioural insights. And this job ad noted that this was a position that would work exclusively on projects that, quote, I'm quoting here, address potential and actual non-compliance by participants and providers. 
Right. And is that a big problem for the NDIA, people not complying with the rules that they, they are supposed to around their support? Yeah. So I would say no, especially when it comes to participants. Participants are getting what the legislation allows them to get in terms of support, which is reasonable and necessary. The agency doesn't like that because it's more than was bargained for back in the days when this scheme was being legislated back in 2012 and 2013. And so their estimates in their forecasts are more than what they thought they would be. Now, that's the problem for government. That's not a problem for disabled people, and it shouldn't be their problem. There is fraud in the NDIA. It's not in any huge numbers in terms of actual criminal fraud, but there have been people gone to jail, and they've almost exclusively been providers, people who have come in and either registered or been unregistered as a provider of disability support services. So this is where it all gets to, right? When they say compliance, they say, well, how do we stop people spending money or getting money in their plans? And we do know those cases where people have been denied funding supports only to have, you know, when it gets to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal or that court, for them to say, the agency was wrong to deny this of you. How it ever got here is beyond us, which means their decisions were wrong. Mm, Right. Which would be a gruelling thing to go through. So, Rick, if people are being denied funding arrangements that eventually this independent arbiter says that they're absolutely entitled to, why does something like that happen? What is the thinking behind the original decisions that are being made at the NDIA? Look, we can't say absolutely for sure, but I, I have my suspicions about why this is the case. But there's also a pretty concerning link to a scandal that has been in the headlines recently, and that's the RoboDebt Royal Commission. Two people who were around at the time of the RoboDebt scheme who, in fact, developed the very first conceptualisation of the RoboDebt scheme are now working in very senior positions at the National Disability Insurance Scheme. And their testimony gives us an insight into something that these bureaucrats call behavioural nudging or behavioural influencing, and it's insight into the very thing that they were asking for in that job ad we were just talking about. We'll be back in a moment. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Rick, you said that you've discovered this interesting link between how the National Disability Insurance Agency is looking at compliance in the disability sector and the RoboDebt Royal Commission. And this all has to do with behavioural nudging. So what is that? What is behavioural nudging and, and why is it significant? So you can control human beings, right? That's a story as old as humankind itself because the brain is a really tricky thing and we recognise patterns and we 
are actually less in control of our own behavior than we think we are. And we're very, like, advertisers and marketers know all this stuff. And these two very senior public servants who were involved in the development of RoboDebt were very open with the Royal Commission just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Commissioner, I call Jason Ryman. One of the men involved in this process, Jason Ryman, who was the director in the DHS at the time, he wrote the initial brief that went to his then boss, Scott Britton, that outlined the entire genesis of RoboDebt. And there was a really interesting moment during Jason Ryman's testimony to the RoboDebt Royal Commission about the use of behavioural insights and and nudging uh, in the development of this kind of debt program. Well, thinking of numerous ways, um, looking at the use of SMS to remind customers that different times as to their obligations. We were trialling or looking at different letters that we could use, um, incorporating behavioural insights to influence compliance behaviour. At the time, we were looking at a concept called trusted data. What ended up happening was essentially they created a series of gates through which you could shepherd welfare recipients to get an outcome that you wanted, not not one that was necessarily good for them. And so they didn't even put a phone number on these letters that went to the vast majority of people. Can you tell us why a phone number wasn't included? I recall the phone number wasn't included because we were really seeking customers to go online. As Commissioner Catherine Holmes pointed out quite directly. To minimise human involvement, effectively. No phone numbers in order to minimise compliance officer engagement. I think probably the the intent was at the time really trying to move customers into an online environment as 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 an agency. Okay, you didn't want them ringing up. Is that right or not? Well, because if someone rang up, they'd have to deal with a compliance officer, which would negate the automatic nature of the entire system, which would then negate the $1.2 billion in savings that you could actually get. Now, Scott Britton, who I mentioned was the national manager at the time, uh, he's now one of Jason Ryman's colleagues at the National Disability Insurance Agency, and he told the inquiry that they were really involved in influencing users' behaviour, so welfare recipients' behaviours in responding to robo-debt. Now, influencing is really it's a generous term for what they were doing, I think. So do we know, Rick, if these same ideas are being used at the, at the NDIA, if there are attempts to use behavioural insights to, to influence people who access those services? We know that Jason Ryman, who wrote the brief that was signed by Scott Britton, we know that both of those men are now at the National Disability Insurance Agency. And, you know, Jason Ryman, when he gave evidence at the Royal Commission, uh, mentioned that his current job is as branch manager of the compliance program at the National Disability Insurance Agency. And that job ad that we were talking about before, that's asking to hire or seeking to hire an assistant director, behavioural insights for the National Disability Insurance Scheme, reports directly to an EL2 position that reports directly to Jason Ryman. Now, in the initial brief that Jason Ryman put together for Scott Britton during the development of RoboDebt, This was very much an emerging practice at the time, but what has become really popular is using behavioural insights and behavioural influencing in compliance 
which is what Jason Ryman has done for pretty much the entirety of his career. He's a compliance guy. And he's now in charge of the compliance branch at the insurance scheme. Now, the advertisement states that the roles will lead and manage research to ensure the delivery of innovative and effective behavioural interventions that align, and this is key, that align to the strategic priorities of the agency. It will draw on your understanding of human behaviour and behavioural economics to understand how people make decisions and behave and apply this to inform service delivery programs and policies. I should be upfront here and say that the the agency rejects completely any link between its compliance work, which they say actively works to protect the funding of NDIS participants, uh, to the focus of the RoboDebt Royal Commission. They say it's wrong to make that link in. They say that the agency compliance activities are ethical and consistent with our commitment to the focus on the welfare of participants at all times. And what about your sources inside the NDIA, Rick? What are they saying to you about all of this? Yeah, so I was talking to one source who's quite familiar with the work of the compliance program. And this person was saying that what we are ultimately talking about here is using psychological tricks to discourage certain behaviours. Now, that's good. If you want to discourage someone from crossing a road without looking, that's a good thing to discourage. But this person says, What I want to know is whether we are discouraging people from claiming support to which they are entitled. And there is good reason to be concerned by that, given the history of, ironically, the behaviour of the National Disability Insurance Agency. What influences are they trying to use to stop people claiming support to which they would be entitled under the legislation that governs the National Disability Insurance Scheme? Mm. Okay, so... Is there cause here then for government departments to tread really carefully when it comes to the way that behavioural nudging is used? Because you have a Royal Commission asking very pointed questions about how these strategies have been used in the past, but the public service seems like they're still very interested in in using these tools to target compliance. Yeah. The reason they're happy to do all of that is because I don't think they think it's a problem. Like, I think they just think, well, this is what we do. This is business as usual. It's way to meet ends. It's a way to meet ends. And compliance is, I don't want to be misinterpreted on this, compliance is really important. Like you don't want people committing fraud, but compliance is more than fraud. Fraud is the really tip of the iceberg, right? And so this data analytics-driven, behavioural insights-driven organisation, it's woven into the DNA of what it does. You know, the job ad advertises uh, or seeking someone to do all of this stuff in conjunction with the strategic priorities of the agency. And one of the strategic priorities of the agency is to bring down costs. And the easiest way for them to do that, not the right way necessarily, but the easiest way for them to do that, is to bring down the cost of every single person's plan. And this is the problem we have with really big schemes. The situations are very similar. We've got 530,000 people or more now in the National Disability Insurance Scheme. We have 900,000 potential discrepancies under RoboDebt. And they wanted to cut corners. But in doing that, you catch innocent people. And RoboDebt sent debt letters and people paid debts that never existed. And under the National Disability Insurance Scheme, we know people are targeted. I've written so many stories over my career that I cannot even begin to count. The amount of people who just objectively, clearly needed the funding for their disabilities that was cut by the agency. And it's because it's easier to cut 
at scale than it is to make a surgeon's excision. And so we get these shortcuts, but the shortcuts help the bureaucracy, they don't help the people. Rick, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Ruby. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today, the National Anti-Corruption Commission Bill unanimously passed the House of Representatives on Wednesday afternoon and the decision was met with applause in the chamber. Introducing a Federal Integrity Commission to tackle corruption was a core promise of the Labor government at the election earlier this year. Albanese has said in a statement, this is a historic day for our parliament and the nation. And Scott Morrison has become the first former Prime Minister to be censured by parliament for his failure to disclose his extra-ministerial appointments. The motion was moved by MP Tony Burke, who said that Morrison did not just fall below the standards of the House, he undermined them, attacked them and abused them. In response, Morrison told the lower house it was false to equate his decision to administer colleagues' departments with appointments as minister and claimed that if he had been asked, he would have responded truthfully about the arrangements. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.